Man, my brother, good job. Good job. Praise the Lord. I was thinking in that song that um, if God is who He says He is, that He never has to be in a hurry. And most of you know from, you know, your own experiences in life that the Lord really doesn't get in much of a hurry, does He? He kind of moves at his own pace. He doesn't seem to be in a hurry to answer sometimes. He doesn't seem to be in a large hurry to give us the things that we're after or to change our circumstances. The Lord doesn't always seem to be in a hurry. But the one time God is always in a hurry is when it comes to forgiveness. He's always in a hurry to forgive. Man, I'm thankful for that song this morning. I've been reflecting some this past week that it's been almost a year, and September the 11th will be a year, that Amy, Priscilla, Fudge, and myself loaded up uh, our U-Haul and moved from the foothills of western North Carolina to the suburbs of Iron City. And one of the peculiar things about moving from state to state, and some of you have done that for different reasons, is that states have different laws. And you know that... It's true because you paid attention in civics class, but until you actually go to a place where the laws are somewhat different, you, you just don't think about it. And for instance, one of the laws that we have in North Carolina that you don't have in Alabama is that every year you have to have your vehicle inspected. And if your year, if your vehicle is new enough, it has to actually pass an emissions inspection. Not in Alabama, buddy. Hey, if it'll, if it'll roll coaster glide, the state of Alabama does not care about your well-being behind the wheel of a vehicle. And so, to make sure I was on the right side of the law, I wanted to start looking at some other Alabama laws to make sure I didn't accidentally break any of these laws of my new adopted home state because, you know, breaking the law is not good for my line of work. So, I checked and I found out that the state of Alabama has some really weird laws. Really weird laws. In Alabama, it is punishable by death for you to put salt on a railroad track. Because the thinking was that it will attract cows to the railroad track. And then the train hits the cows and everybody's dead meat. Y'all going to get that dead meat thing in just a minute. In Alabama, it is illegal to tie your pet alligator to a fire hydrant. Which... Now, really, really, that's a good law. But you know as well as I do, there's some redneck somewhere out there that's mad about that. This is America, and my alligator has rights. In Alabama, it is, this is my favorite one. In Alabama, it is illegal to wear a fake mustache to church. Because you might make somebody laugh. And the state of Alabama does not want you having a good time in church. Thank you very much. In Alabama, or in Lee County anyway... It is illegal to sell peanuts on Wednesday nights after dark. Why not? It's Lee County, right? Well, we know that laws, rules, regulations, they govern almost every single part of our lives. Somebody here today probably is, is breaking a law somewhere just by what you're doing. We, laws are part of life. And a lot of us think that, that laws and rules and regulations and thou shalts and thou shalt nots are a part of our religious experience too. There are some things, I mean, you're Baptist, you know there are some things you do and some things you just don't do. 
And we think that's just the way this works. Well, today we are going to look at one rule in the Bible, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives us, that he says is so important that it would actually encapsulate everything that the Bible teaches us in one simple rule. It's a rule that you know, the golden rule, that we don't even need to read this morning. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But how do we really do that? Why is this the pinnacle of Christian ethics? Why is this the highest standard of living? Why does Jesus say to us that this one rule encapsulates everything else the Bible is trying to teach? I want to show you that today from Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12. And we will read this verse. If you are able, I would like for you to stand as we read this text of Scripture. And here's the one big thought I want you to take home with you today. And that is this. And it's important you understand this or you'll never get it. The only way that you will ever treat other people the way you want to be treated is if you learn to treat other people the way Jesus treated you. The only way you will ever treat other people the way you want to be treated is if you treat other people the way Jesus treated you. Matthew seven twelve, Jesus says, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You can be seated. And I trust the Lord's going to bless His Word today. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's important to remember that Jesus is preaching this as a sermon, but He's not just preaching as a preacher, not like I am. This is a little bit different because I am preaching from the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. I'm telling you about Jesus, but Jesus Himself is the Son of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as He preaches the Sermon on the Mount, He's not just giving you a sermon. He really is giving you the law of what it looks like to live as a citizen of His kingdom. He tells us how we should behave. He tells us things we should do. How we should think about connecting with God. He even tells us that it's a sin to worry. Jesus gets into all kinds of personal details that uh, He really ought to stay out of unless He really is our King. And Jesus believes He is your King, and He believes that He has the right to tell you how your life should look. And some of the things that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, they're perfectly reasonable. They seem perfectly natural and helpful and good. There are other things that Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have have told me that as we've studied this, you realize that Jesus is calling you to do things that are simply impossible. They're just not going to happen if you are left to your own power. But... It's important to recognize that this is the way kings work. It would be good for you to understand today that Jesus is not running for president of your life. None of this is up for a vote. Jesus is your king. And as your king, he has the absolute right to give you his law and say you either live in compliance or you live as a rebel. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this passage of Scripture. But here... After Jesus gives us so much teaching about things like worry and materialism and prayer and lust and anger and interpersonal relationships, all of these great themes we've studied in the Sermon on the Mount this summer, Jesus gives us one rule, and He says, this rule really encapsulates everything else that I am going to teach you. The golden rule has been considered the highest apex of human ethical conduct. It's been recognized by preachers and politicians and even leaders from different completely different religions, as the greatest standard of behavior. It's the highest and the best that human beings could ever hope to achieve. It is, some people would consider, the greatest thing that any human being has ever taught to another. What's Jesus really getting at in this simple statement? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This verse is so simple, a child can understand it. 
But this verse is so complex that it takes a whole Bible to explain it. It's so impossible that it takes the grace and the power of God working in us to actually do it. And it is so familiar to us that we can quote it without looking at it. Today, I want us to dive into what the Lord Jesus is actually getting at when he says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. And I want us to look at this from two different angles. And I think you have to consider both of these perspectives on this verse for it to make any kind of sense whatsoever. And the first one is this. We need to, when we study the golden rule, we need to embrace the simplicity of this rule. We need to embrace the fact that it really is simple. Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning. There are sometimes, as a preacher, when I deal with passages of Scripture that are so complex and so difficult that I know when I get up to preach, I'm going to make myself look like an idiot, and I dread preaching them. And I know I'm going to get up, and I'm going to preach and go home thinking, man, I look really dumb, and everybody's figured this out. But there are other times when I get up to preach, and the text of Scripture is so simple and so easy, I feel really stupid for even saying anything about it. And that's about the way it is here in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. Like, you don't need me to do anything here, do you? Like, you can read this and you've got it. You know exactly what Jesus is talking about. I thought about, honestly, just reading this verse and praying and going home. I mean, it really is that simple. So here's my question to you this morning. Why, if this is so important to the text of the Sermon on the Mount, why does Jesus wait till almost the end of the sermon to work it in? Why doesn't Jesus begin here, lead in with this, and then spend the rest of his time explaining it? Well, I think that it all depends on the very first word, and that is the word so. Or if you're reading from the King James translation, it's the word therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to look and see what it's there for. Because the word therefore, the word so, is a conjunction. And you remember Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? What does a conjunction do? What does a conjunction do? The purpose of a conjunction is to connect what is coming to what is already being, right? So Jesus is doing that here. He's saying, now I'm going to connect with you what I'm about to say with what I already have said. What has Jesus just said? He's just said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, what we looked at last week, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. And he says, your father is a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. Therefore, Jesus says, do to others as you would want to do want them to do it to you. So, wait a minute, why does that make sense? Well, what did Jesus say right before he taught what he taught about prayer? It's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1, where Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. He said, don't be a hypercritical and a hypocritical judge of other people. Don't treat other people's sin as a bigger deal than your sin. Don't comb through people's lives looking for some kind of microscopic failure while you ignore the big looming sins in your own life, Right? But then in that same passage, Jesus says, don't be that kind of judge of other people's sin. You are not judge, jury, and executioner of anybody. Amen. You shouldn't. Well, I'm just going to park there for a minute and preach. <laughs> Jesus tells you not to judge other people because you're not the judge. He's the judge. And he don't need the competition, so lay off. All right? Now... Jesus says, judge not. Don't be hypercritical. Don't be hypocritical. But, he says, you do need to have discernment. Don't cast pearls before swine. Don't throw things that are holy to the dogs. Jesus says, you need to know the difference between things that are holy and things that are profane. Things that are special and set apart to God and things that are trash. And you need to make sure you don't mix the two. You need to have discernment without being judgmental. So you better pray and ask God to help you do that. And as you pray and ask God to help you do that, as you seek, you will find. As you knock, it will be opened to you. As you ask, it will be given to you. Therefore, 
The way you want other people to treat you, that's how you need to treat them. Jesus is saying to us in this passage of Scripture that as people of prayer, that we are people who are coming to God continually saying, Lord, let me be the kind of person who so values relationships, who so values other people, that I am continually trying to do my best to act towards them, to be towards them, and to do towards them exactly the way I want them to be to me. Now, the cool thing about this is, is that you are an expert And I am an expert in how you want to be treated. I am an expert in how I want to be treated. Listen, when I go to the restaurants, when I go through the drive-thru, I know exactly which number I'm going to order. Because I know what my favorite thing at every restaurant is. When I go into the grocery store, I know exactly where to find my favorite flavor of Blue Bell ice cream. Don't even have to think about it. Don't even have to look. I just go and I grab it. When I get in the car, I know what kind of music I want to listen to. I know what kind of clothes I want to wear. I know what kind of deodorant I put on every day. I know what size shoe I need to buy. I know everything about me. But Jesus is saying here in these verses of Scripture that if He is important to us, then other people will be important to us. So much so that we will live as if their needs are really as important as mine. So that I will consider how they feel. I will consider what they want. I will consider how they wish to be treated. So Jesus really would dig deep into your heart and say, how do you want others to do to you? How do you wish they would treat you? Now, notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not live by the very selfish and the very negative standard of do to other people as they have done to you. That's how most of you live. Somebody treats you good, you're going to be good to them. Somebody treats you terrible, you're going to be ugly to them. And they deserve it. They started. I know they deserve it. But that's the way we live, right? Do unto others as they have done to you. That's not what Jesus says. Do unto others as you want them to do to you. Jesus says, rise above the cycle of selfishness and self-defense and self-righteousness and self-interest. And Jesus says, do good for other people. So I thought about that as I prepared this sermon. I just wrote down a couple things. Here's how I want people to treat me. Here's how I want you. I want everybody. Here's how I want to be treated. I want people to give me the benefit of the doubt. I do. I want people to listen to my opinions before they shoot them down. I want people to judge me by my best intentions and not by my worst mistakes. I want people to know that, for the most part, I usually do mean well. I don't want people to treat me like I'm stupid. I want people to treat me with value. I want people to be patient with me. I want people to take time to get to know me. I want people to care about me and not just what they can get from me. That's what I want. Jesus says, there you go. There's a standard for how you treat other people. That's the standard for how you interact with other people. And if that is the standard, then it's important for us to recognize that this is the way that God has treated us. You see, the essence of the gospel, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later. The essence of the gospel is that Jesus died in our place, right? The essence of the gospel is that Jesus offered his life in our place. That he laid aside his good for our good. That God at the cross treated Jesus the way he should have treated me. So that now as a believer, God can treat me the way he should have treated Jesus. That is the essence of the gospel. It is Jesus in my place. And if our God put himself in our place, then we should be putting ourselves in the place of others saying, what do they want? 
What do they need? How can I help them? How can I be good to them? So in a paradoxical kind of way, our self-interest and our natural bent towards selfishness is a huge help to figuring out how we should treat other people. I mean, what are the things you want? Because basically the things you want are the things that other people want. Other people want to be treated with respect. Other people want to be treated with patience. Other people want to be handled gently when they fail. Other people want to be celebrated when they succeed. Other people want to know that they matter. People want to be valued. People want to be safe. That's what people want. The same things that you want. So Jesus says we should do this to others. And I like the way that Jesus says that because it reminds us that ultimately there are only two kinds of people in the world. There's me and then there's not me. That's it. It's the only kinds of people in the world. And I should treat all the not me's the way me wants to be treated. That's not good English, but it's good theology. But Christians, God bless us, we try and overcomplicate this so much. And we want to have a Bible study, and we want to have a marriage conference, and we want to have a seminar, and we want to listen to a podcast, and we want to write books and read books, and we want all these practical steps for how we live for God. How do I actually do this? Here's how you do it. Are you married? Treat your spouse the way you want to be treated. You want her to respect you, respect her. I know that you think that he's from a different planet. I know. I know you think that he's a totally different species, and he is. But if you would order your marriage based upon this rule, you'd save yourself a whole lot of heartache and grief. If you would just say, I'm going to treat them the way I want to be treated. Treat your spouse with love and respect. Look them in the eye when they talk to you. You want her to listen to you guys? Listen to her. Put your phone down and listen to her. You want to make life easy for you? Then serve Him well. Because you want to be served. Serve her well. Don't be an idiot. Because you don't want to be married to an idiot. (laughs) This is not complicated. This principle, listen folks, this principle is the foundation for a six-decade marriage. Paul would write in Ephesians 5, two men, Ephesians 5, 28. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. What's Paul saying? He's saying that the golden rule applies to husbands. If you want good marriages, then make husbands live by the golden rule. It's that simple. And he says that a husband should be so in tune with his wife that he knows about her needs and her desires and the things that she's missing as much as he knows about himself. And he's sacrificially doing everything that he can to take care of her in that way. Y'all, on Friday, I think it was, I got an eyelash in my eye. And it drove me crazy for two days until I finally got it out yesterday afternoon. And as far as I was concerned, the world needed to stop until I got that fixed. Because you know how it is, right? It drives you absolutely nuts. And that's just a minor thing happening in my body. And I thought the whole world, the whole world was revolving around getting that fixed. Paul says that's how you should be in tune with the needs of your wife. As if it's happening in your body. You got kids? Raise your kids by the standard of the golden rule. Play with them. Have fun with them because you like to have fun. Take them seriously because you want people to take you seriously. Get interested in whatever interests them because you want people to be interested in the things that interest you. Play with princesses and monster trucks and tea parties and t-ball and gymnastics. Pay attention to your kids because you want them to pay attention to you. Change their diapers. 
drives me crazy when I hear men that won't change their kids' diapers. They're going to be changing your diaper one day, live by the golden rule, and change their diaper. In your community, look for ways to serve your neighbor, to do for them the things you would want people to do for you. I mean, your dog gets out of your backyard. You want everybody in the neighborhood to stop what they're doing and come help you find him, right? Because rascal's going to miss it and you want to rescue him. Treat people that way. Serve the local schools. Work in shelters. At the church, celebrate other people as much as you want to be celebrated. Forgive the way you want to be forgiven. Really, more importantly, forgive the way you have been forgiven. I mean, I think about our Sunday school teachers here. Do a great job teaching the Word of God every Sunday morning. And I, I just think about myself personally. If I was teaching a Sunday school class, and if I had devoted part of my time and a part of my heart and my spiritual walk was invested in pouring out this other, you know, pouring out this lesson for other people, I would want people to come and hear me teach. Right? So do unto others as you would have them do to you and go hear them teach because that's what you would want. You would expect people to support you. Do that. This is not complicated. This is easy. As William S. Preston Esquire said, be excellent to one another. That's what Jesus says. So you need to see the simplicity in this, but you also have to get lost in the vastness of this. That's the second angle we need to look at this from, because Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He gives us this oft-repeated, oft-admired golden rule, do to others the way you want them to do to you. Then he makes this very, very simple statement, very complex, by saying, this is the entirety of the Old Testament. Everything that came before this statement, Jesus says, it's summarized here. Every law, every prophet, it was all about getting to this sentence. Now keep in mind, the people hearing Jesus preach this day were people that knew their Old Testament a whole lot better than we do. Now, a lot of y'all know the Old Testament. You know about Daniel and the lion's den and David and Goliath. And you've read through the Old Testament maybe several times. And you know the stories. But these are people, many of them had memorized the entirety of the Old Testament. These are people whose entire life, down to what they wore and what they eat, was guided by what the Old Testament law said about them. And I think about the complexity of all the Old Testament. And I think, how can Jesus say it's really as simple as one sentence? The Old Testament was written by... Like 25 to 30 different people over a period of about 1,500 some odd years. And it was written by prophets and priests and kings and peasants. And I looked in my Bible, the Old Testament is 803 pages long. It takes you about 52 hours to read straight through the Old Testament, just in case, you know, you don't have anything to do next weekend. How can all of that be this simple? How can it all come down to one sentence? Well, I think if you pause, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Jesus' words here in Matthew 7 really are just a different take on another Old Testament passage, which is Leviticus 19. And Jesus says, or the Old Testament says, in Leviticus 19, it talks about reaping a harvest. When you reap your harvest of your lands, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. God said it's really important when you harvest your grain and harvest your grapes or whatever to make sure that if you drop something, you leave it where it lays. But he says, don't go out of your way to get every single minute detail because there are poor people and immigrants in your nation that this is how they're going to feed themselves. Jesus says your entire civil structure should be built on the principle that you are going to treat other people the way you want to be treated. 
Verse 11, he goes on to say, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. I like that. You pay them when they're due. You shall not curse the death or put a stumbling block before the blind. God thought of everything, didn't he? Don't go around cussing these deaf people now. But you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial. Listen to this. Listen to this. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. That's incredible, isn't it? Because there are some people in certain situations, and we see this every week in the news cycle of our world, there are some people that when accusations are brought, there are some people that when a news story develops, they immediately are drawn to defend the poor. And there are some people that are immediately drawn to defend the wealthy and the powerful. The Lord says, don't do that. Be just. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God said this is the entirety of the ethical standard that I expect you to live under when it comes to how you structure your economics, when it comes to how you structure your civil government, when it comes to how you establish jurisprudence to personal relationships. It all comes down to love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How different would our nation look tomorrow if all of a sudden everybody at every level of our nation and in government actually did this? How would it look? Consider the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments may be a little bit better than Leviticus 19. The Ten Commandments are broken down into what's called two tables of the law. The first table, the first four laws are about our relationship with God. We should not have no other gods before the Lord. We should not make any graven image. We should not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. We should honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The second table of the law, the last six commandments, those are about relationships with other people. Honor your father and your mother. That thy days may be long upon the earth. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's, well, basically thy neighbor's stuff. You can't kill somebody if you're treating them the way you want to be treated. You can't. You can't steal from somebody if you're treating them the way you want to be treated. You can't dishonor your parents and treat them the way you want to be treated. It all comes down to being good to people the way God has been good to us. And the Old Testament prophets were repeatedly saying the same thing. We often think that the ministry of the prophets was always to look ahead into the future and predict these incredible future events. And sometimes they did that. But more than that, what the prophets were doing is they were calling people to actually live in harmony with the Old Testament law as the covenant people of God. They were calling them typically to repentance. And they were looking ahead saying, here's how God is going to set right what is broken. Here's what Isaiah preaches in Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? 
Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The Lord says, listen, y'all might as well quit having temple, quit making sacrifices, quit preaching the law, quit having a church because I ain't coming. I'm sick of it. Why is God going to lay out a church? He says, your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. The Lord says, listen, quit pretending and quit playing as if you're really worshiping me and live in harmony with the idea that you should love your neighbor as yourself and be good to these people that cannot always be good to you. God had always been about producing these kinds of people in the world. And Paul says in Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 that this is the feeling fulfilling of the law. He says... Verse number nine, you should not commit adultery, not murder. You should not steal. All of that stuff are summed up in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Then Galatians 5.14 says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the problem we have today is that this is totally foreign to us. In fact, there are a lot of other religions and philosophies and worldviews that have something similar to the golden rule at the heart of what they teach. But they will always say, don't do to others what you don't want, do, don't, don't want them to do to you. But that's not what Jesus teaches. In fact, it's very, very different. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. I don't want you to punch me in the face, so I'm not going to punch you in the face. It's not a bad rule. Pretty good advice. But it's not what Jesus teaches in this text of Scripture, is it? What Jesus says... Jesus says to us here that we are to actively be doing the same kind of good to other people that we want them to do to us. Some people have looked at the golden rule and they have said that this is the distillation of the entire gospel message. This is really all it takes for you to get to heaven when you die. Friends, understand something. The gospel is not, y'all be nice to each other. And even if it is, even if you're trying to be good to other people so that you can earn your way into heaven, you're not doing anything for them. You're doing it all for you. So, back to square one. In fact, Matthew Henry, who is a, a great Bible commentator, he said, and great hair too, he said, I think that's a wig. I hope that's a wig. But I don't know why you'd pay money for that. Either... This rule is not the gospel or we are not Christians. <laughs> Matthew Henry said, if this is what it takes to get to heaven, he said, we are sunk people. He said, abandon ship, there is no hope for us. So, what is Jesus actually saying to us in this text of Scripture? Well, remember that the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon. This is not a soundbite. Jesus did not just tweet this out. He did not put this on the Sermon on the Mount Instagram page with, you know, a real romantic looking sunset over it. Jesus is actually preaching this as part of a sermon. And if you remember, there was a passage of Scripture. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount together since right before Memorial Day here at Sharon Heights. I believe the first Sunday of June, there was a passage of Scripture, maybe the second Sunday of June, we looked at it in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, Matthew five seventeen. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, you heard that the second Sunday of June. It's been a better part of two months ago. 
These people heard that about ten minutes before Jesus said what he said in Matthew seven twelve. So it's still fresh in their minds. Jesus saying, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Then just right after that, he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others the way you'd want them to do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. And when those people heard that, there had to have been in their minds an immediate connection. To say that this man, this Savior, says that he fulfilled the law and the prophets. And he commands us to love others to fulfill the law and the prophets. What they were understanding is that the golden rule was not just a piece of advice that Jesus floated out in the world and said, y'all do this if you want to be my followers and good luck. But they were understanding, I hope, that Jesus is teaching us that he is the one who keeps this golden rule. That he is the only one in the history of the world who has ever, ever treated other people always and only in the right way. He's the only one who always loved others more than himself. He's the only one who is always better to other people than they ever were to him. He is the only one who always thought of the truest needs of other people above his own rights and above his own goods. This idea is not just a rule for mankind's best and brightest, but this is the living, breathing Son of God. Saying all those laws about loving your neighbor, they were pointing to me as Savior who would love my enemies. Who said, all those prophets who were calling you to repentance, they were calling you to a right relationship with me. Jesus says, I am the one who lived this rule, who loved out of this rule, and who died showing you this rule. Jesus does that perfectly. And the only way you and I are ever, ever going to show this to other people is when we respond to how Jesus has done this for us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, that we should be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that last clause of that sentence, that is the hinge on which the whole of the Christian faith and the whole of Christian ethics turns. If we do not understand how God in Christ forgave us, if we do not understand how God in Christ was good to us, then we're never going to do this. We'll never do it. We'll never do it because we'll always think that other people are problems to deal with. Or they are projects to fix. But we will always be in relationships for what we get out of them. And never for what we can put into them. But God has always been calling people to live this way. So much so that he sent his son into the world to actually live this. Some of y'all probably remember that huge fad that swept through Christianity a couple of decades ago. Where everybody wore those WWJD bracelets. Y'all remember those? What would Jesus do? I had one of those. Uh, every, everybody I knew had one of those. I think my dog even had one of those. Um, she was a good dog, so I guess it worked. Um, I had to get rid of mine, though, because, uh, you know, when, when my parents had them then, like, you know, it's not cool anymore, so I had to dump that off. What would Jesus do? And the idea is that in whatever situation you're in, you're supposed to stop and think, now, what would Jesus do and then go do that? And that's a good, that's a good rule to live by. The truth is, though, the only way we know what Jesus would do is by looking at what Jesus did do. And it's when we understand what Jesus did do at the cross, then we're able to finally be the kind of people who do what Jesus did in our relationships with other people. Did Jesus come to make us better? You better believe he did. Did Jesus come to put my deepest needs above all of his rights? Absolutely. Did Jesus look at me and see that the only way I would ever be made right is if he laid down his life? Of course he did. 
And what did he do? The Bible says, For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, and laid down his life for my good and for your good. And he says, you come to me and you know me on those terms. Then you can see how to actually treat other people. Then you're not going to feel like you're always losing something. Because in Jesus, you're never going to lose anything. You've got everything. You're never going to give up in a relationship anything greater than what you've been given in Jesus. You're not going to be so good. Well, what what if they take advantage of me? What if they do? Are they ever going to take advantage of you to the degree that they start taking from you things that Christ has given you? No. That's what Jesus is saying. He said the law and the prophets are about our need and God's desire for us to be this kind of person. The law and the prophets are about the absolute impossibility of our being this kind of person. So much so that God himself would come into the human story and would be this kind of person. And he would do to others the good that they could never do to him and would never do to him. So that we could in turn go out and show this to the world. That is the golden rule. Be good to one another. Because God has been good to you. Now, that's simple, isn't it? I mean, it's so simple. Like I said, it's embarrassing to preach it. It really is. You could put this on a fortune cookie and when you're done, everybody gets it. Yeah, okay, be good to one another because this is how we want other people to be good to us. But if you're really going to do this, if you're really going to do this, this gets practical because this gets down to the way you talk to people. This gets down to the way you listen to people. This gets down to the way you forgive people. This gets down to the way you interact with your spouse and with your kids and with your coworkers and with your boss and with your employees. This gets down to where you live. And there's no part of your life that is not touched by this commandment. No part of it. So there had better not be any part of your heart that's not been touched and changed by the love of God in Christ for you. Because that's the only way that you're ever going to be able to do this. Now... How we give an invitation to this, I don't know. I really don't know. But maybe you can look at your life today and you can say, there have been a lot of places where I have not been good to others. I have not been treating them the way I want to be treated. In my family, in my job, daily interactions. Maybe just in the way you, you treat the people who bag your groceries and hand fries out the window. Maybe you realize you're just a nasty person and nobody likes you. That's not what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be good to others, to treat them the way you want to be treated. And He can work that in you. Maybe you're here this morning, and really for the first time you realize that what the Christian message is all about, before it's about how we treat one another, it's about how God has treated us. And how has He treated us? He's not pushed us away. He's not walled us off. He's not cast us off into hell, even though we had every right to do that. The Christian message is that God actively pursued our good. By dying for our sins at the cross. That Jesus came to take the anger of God against my sin at the cross. So that I can have eternal forgiveness. Maybe you need to come and say, Lord, the reason I don't know how to treat anybody else is because I don't realize how good you're trying to be to me. And Lord, I want to know you on those terms. I want to be changed. Maybe you've got bitterness in your heart. Maybe you've got difficult relationships. I don't know. But if you need to come, we're going to stand together today. And while we sing this song that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart today, here's the thing He does. He knows. 
He knows. Some of you need to come and respond to what He's taught you today while we sing this song together.